everyone everywhere to follow Jesus. So that means you and your friends and their friends and everyone else. Let's get deeper. Hey guys, welcome to the Purpose Podcast, uh, your show for everything Purpose Church. Uh, today is Tuesday, April 13th. This is episode eight, and uh, we are coming to you. It's Caleb Spencer and I today. We're going to go, hi, Caleb. How are you today? Hi, Jared. I'm good. You're doing good. We're going to talk about stuff that we talked about last week that Glenn talked about on Sunday. Um, he went through the case for Christ. So we're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss a little bit about Easter. It's going to be a good show. I'm really excited about it. Hey, um, Caleb, how are you doing, man? You doing good? I think I'm good. Is my microphone working? Do I have my NPR voice on? No, everything's good, man. Excellent. Uh, no, I'm good. I had a good week. Um, I, right now, as I sit here, I can't remember anything that's happened. I think I um, my kids were off school last week, so my memory is erased. <laughs> okay. But it was a good week. I know. It's so funny how that works. I feel like when I have time off, everything just kind of blurs into a It was all really, nothing. yeah, it's all good, right? You're busy and you're... Uh-huh. Running around doing fun stuff. We did a bunch of cool stuff. Oh, I do remember we went to the Natural History Museum. That was very interesting. Oh, very cool. I love yeah. the Natural History Museum. And it's really expensive, but if you go on Tuesdays, it's free, and we didn't know that. We showed up thinking we were going to pay $27 a person, and then they're like, oh, it's free. I'm like, you mean like no money at all? And they're <laughs> right. like, yeah, it's free. You mean <laughs> <Yes>. Libro? Libre? <laughs> like Libre? no money? And yes, no money. Free. No, that's really cool. We... um. We've been to the Natural History Museum with the kids. They love the dinosaurs, yeah. and that's why we went. Well, yeah. actually, the girls liked um, they actually liked the dinosaurs, but they also liked the uh, like life-size dioramas of the animals and whatever those are called. Yeah, the, those are cool. The stuffed animals. Yeah, the, then, like the the primate panorama. Yeah, there's really <laughs> I don't think there's that's some, what they call it. the birds are actually really cool too. Oh yeah, my parents were with us, and my dad's into birds, and there was a bunch of really. I'm always fascinated when I go because I I kind of you get to see kind of God's creation and and all of its variety. Yeah. And kind of how creative God is. I, you know, it's like watching the planet, the planet movie. There's a yeah. new one out, by the way. Is there another one? Yeah, there's another one out. It's interesting. I, I heard, I read an article about it. Um, just kind of some pop culture stuff. Um, and one of the things that the the person who wrote it was was a Christian, and they were saying that you know they kind of give this like this honor to Mother Nature for coming up with all these different creative ways, and like how these these animals like came up with different creative ways of overcoming their environments and things like that. And they kind of give all this, this credit to themselves, the, to the animals themselves, like saying like, like these animals were, were smart enough to own... figure out how to change their colors. You know, like yeah. <laughs> that's like the whole evolution thing. And it just, it just kind of ignores the fact that we have a creator. Um, but other than that, I guess it's really beautiful. And if you're a Christian, it's really encouraging because you get to watch it and kind of see. Yeah. God's but I guess beauty. in some ways humans are also, I mean, we are endowed with our creator's gifts, which includes being able to transform our environment, right? So on the one Yes, hand, but a lizard wasn't like, I think I'm going to change my skin color today. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't wake up and go, you know what would be a good idea, guys? Well, I don't think that we really understand the full consciousnesses of li- lizards just <laughs> <laughs> Wow. As little as we know about the human brain, we really know less about the lizard brain. <laughs> so you don't think that you, so you are positing. So let me just get this straight. You're suggesting that lizards get they up. They might experience, I, I have had, And I consciously have say to each other. Yeah, I have wondered about that. Like if there's souls and animals, you know, I mean, it seems to me that 
obviously there's one answer is no, but it, it is like there's a question about going. I mean, the word anime in Greek is actually the same for breath, and obviously they're alive. And so, mm-hmm. do animals have souls? I don't know. That's kind of an interesting question. That is an interesting question. I well, you mean souls as in eternal, the eternal spirit. Yeah, like or some yeah that they're like they've been given life. I mean, because well, right, if existence is like the most sort of miraculous thing, clearly they've been given existence. So, how that relates to our existence and the continuity is like a is I mean, is it a, is it a pure discontinuity between their life and ours, or is there some continuity between the two? I, I've always kind of wondered about that. Well, I've always heard, and from the the background I come from. We always talk about how there is, you know, soul and spirit. You know, we've got we've got two different things. Mm, you know, the soul is the will and the emotions, and the spirit is the eternal piece of us, the one that kind of. Goes yeah, beyond. and maybe they have spirit in that sense. Like they, they don't cle- clearly have. Well, they have will and emotions, so they have soul. I would say. Hmm. But not yeah, spirit. But not spirit. Not an eternal piece, according to the scripture. I, I think if there were spirit, like spirit beings, um, then God wouldn't kind of say go and kill and eat and it's complicated though by the fact that there are definitely higher beings than us i mean there what there are definitely higher beings in the creation than humans like the scriptures testify to the existence of archangels and and so there's there's beings above humans but they're not that have soul but they're still they're still create they're not in well they have they have wills and emotions and they also have and they freedom. seem to have, in some sense, more spirit than we have, right? So Satan's—they're spiritual beings. Yeah, and yeah. so, that, but you wonder then: does that does that then follow that on the other side of humans, there's beings of diminished spirit, who still have will and emotion, but don't have the spirit that we have? Does that make so? But yeah, they there's still body. Have, like, I guess what I'm asking is: is there like a resurrection of animals? Um, oh, I, you know, like yeah, I've, that's a really interesting question. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think scripture testifies to it, so it's no. not really something that we you know it's have an answer to. But I, I look at my cat's a... eyes and wonder sometimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I swear, my cat is like a very wise. His name is Barnabas, so you know, he traveled oh. with Paul. I mean, we have four, but but the one I'm thinking of here, I don't know. I look in his eyes and I think. This is a really is interesting. Image of I did God not expect back to us. Me. I did not expect <laughs> us to go here today. <laughs> you know the, the <laughs> spiritual beings. So talking about animals. movies, though, while we're talking about movies, so the planet. I mean, I love the idea of watching the movie about planets. Yeah. On Easter week, but the other one I'd recommend, since we were talking about it before we got started, uh, is Terrence Malick's film Tree of Life, which is partially a kind of National Geographic mm-hmm. IMAX movie of creation. It's the story of creation. And it's also the story of a family, um, the parents of which are played by Jessica Chastain and um, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and and it's a very. I mean, if anyone does go and watch it, I'll just tell you in advance. It's probably better to think of it as a um, as a work of art rather than a film because it's not a narrative film in the traditional sense. There is a narrative to it, but it's a very cool impressionistic narrative. So very and it's cool. definitely an Easter so story. So go check that out to get to get one for Easter. It's an Easter story. I mean, it's about um, resurrection and oh, eternal well, life. And, and not to not to kind of bring it back to like Christian pop culture, but if you guys go see, what was the movie that came out last year with Joseph Fiennes? It was called Oh uh, yeah, called Resurrection um, or something, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, what is that one called? Yeah, right? it's anyway. So go check that one out too. I actually really enjoyed that movie. Yeah, I heard it was the one where good. he was the soldier. Yeah, I you know it was the first movie that I saw that's a Christian film, and trust me, I know about these things. 
<laughs> that, that wasn't uh that wasn't that didn't have a cheesy cringe factor and i i really thought it was it's cool called risen risen it's risen. not resurrection yeah it's risen. Risen. i knew resurrection sounded funny i was in a western called resurrection years ago <laughs> and i was terrible in it um anyway and i had a i had a handlebar mustache it was great i bet you did it was very cool got to shoot you know guns and start bar fights Nice. Very fun. Very fun. It is uh, not currently available in the red box. Risen? I'm surprised. I kind of thought. I'm actually really surprised by that. You would think that they would get on the marketing for Easter. Right. Yeah. Easter time. You'd think they would. Mm -hmm. I'm double checking to make sure I didn't miss it someplace. Well, if you guys get a chance to go out and get to see Risen, that's a good idea. Uh, So enough about the uh, spirits of animals. Maybe we can get into that at some point. Let's (laughs) let's actually look up maybe a, a, a theology of that at some point. But let's get into the uh, conversation about last week's sermon. And uh, then we can kind of talk about some other Easter stuff. Okay, okay, cool. Here we go. Sermon recap. All right, so last week, Glenn talked about the case for Christ. He basically summarized the book by Lee Strobel. If you guys haven't read the book by Lee Strobel, I encourage you to do it. Lee Strobel was a Harvard, um, he was a Harvard lawyer, right? Wasn't he? He was a Harvard business or, or Harvard lawyer guy that went on, and he was the um, he was one of the editors of the Chicago Tribune. And his wife uh, ends up um, becoming a Christian, so he decides to do what he does best and, and examine the evidence as a journalist to see if there was enough evidence um, to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, so and, and through his study of the evidence, he came to the conclusion that, yes, there is enough evidence to, to prove it. And he became a Christian, and now he's an apologist, and he goes around. He works, I think he works at Bill Hybels Church, uh, which is uh, Willow Creek out in Chicago. So, uh, and he travels around, he talks to a bunch of people, but it's his life story, essentially, played by... Uh, gosh, some people, one of the ladies that was in Parenthood was in it, uh, the film. So I'm talking about the film right now. Uh, but his book, his book was actually really, it was, it was very impactful. He has a series of books. So he has a case, case for Christ, a case for a creator, um, and a bunch of other things. Um, yeah. a bunch of other books. So, so yeah, I'm looking at his bio. Just, he is actually currently not working for Willow Creek anymore. Oh, okay. Not, not he, there. I mean, he was, but he still works for the association, but not for the one in Chicago. He works, oh, okay. he teaches for some of his, he, I guess has a television program. Oh, very cool. Um, which I wasn't aware of. Well, yeah. very, very cool. I, I, um, I love the, uh, I love the study, and I, I thought Glenn did a great job. What did you? What's yeah, your, no, you I mean, I, I, I somehow missed that it was actually a summary of the book. I thought he was, I thought Glenn was giving his own, his own for the case. For well, me. and that maybe, so maybe a, I missed. I'm not saying you're wrong. I think I may, have or maybe I was wrong. Part of what he said at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but, but no, I thought that. Um, I mean, he was also. Um, and I, he may or may not have said this, but he was also using the framework from C.S. Lewis of the lunatic liar yep. or Lord and added in there a legend. But um, Legend, lunatic, liar, Lord. Yeah, I don't think Lewis has... Um, legend. Yeah, I don't... Am I right? Well, that's not in mere Christianity. Legend's not in mere Christianity. No, I didn't... I that's didn't kind of an addendum. And yeah, they found I mean, it makes good, sense, though. I mean, it is an right. interesting kind of question about the historicity of Christ as to whether or not he was just, you know, like right. Odysseus or... Some other figure in right exactly in, in mythology. Um, well, I think was it's funny because I've run into people in the secular world. When I was doing this film a few years ago, there was a guy um, that we were talking because actually it was a film about Jesus. We were doing mm-hmm. it's called The God Man. It was a three D animated movie. I played Jesus in the movie, hmm. and so which is really funny. Um, Bald Jesus? 
Huh? Bald Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was funny. I was so young. I, I don't even think I was bald yet. And it was, you know, it was actually, uh, it was um, 3D animated. So I was, I was, oh, so I, I had to, to put the suit on. I had to suit up oh, yeah. and go into the studio I'm and pretend to bring down my Jesus hair. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, bring it down, dude. He has lovely locks, everyone. Lovely, <laughs> lovely locks. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so I, I was talking to this kid. He was playing with me. He was, he was there and, and he was just like, how do you know? Because I was like, oh, yeah, there's all kinds of evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. There's yeah. all kinds of evidence that Jesus was alive. He's like, how do you know? There's no way you know. I'm like, dude, it's called history. Mm. It's actually the study of history. Um, and, and you know, there's a lot of people that are legitimate scholars that 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 know this stuff, like that are that prove this stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Or at least they, they have great theories and they, they have a lot of evidence, a lot of support. Um, and so us as Christians, I mean, like it's important for us to know when we're out in the secular world. It's important for us to know and be able to kind of have these conversations intelligently, um, which I've had a few and, and it's been necessary for me to kind of know these things. Well, and I I mean, I think part of it too is, uh, there has been maybe in the last 20 years, uh, a, a theme in Christian culture that we've, we need to move away from an apologetics focus because the questions that are being asked are not necessarily questions about the truth of Christ, but more about the, um, you know, sort of the meaningfulness of certain... I mean, one of the ways of talking about postmodernity is thinking of people moving from questions about what is true to instead something more like what is meaningful or therapeutic, what sort of makes me feel good. What's therapeutic? Yeah, and, mm-hmm. I, and I actually think in a way we're maybe moving away in part from that. I mean, there's certain... Not 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 completely, because there is still this sort of heavy focus upon kind of need, felt need, emotive, you know, affect. But there's also a growing body of conversation about you know what truths are what avoidable are and how our practices entail and and actually demonstrate truths that we believe that we can't help not you know, that, that we can't act like we don't have beliefs i mean there's well there's i think the conversation is kind of centering around what is real and mm-hmm. what is not real yeah which and is I, not necessarily <clears throat> what the conversation was centered on in in the kind of highest parts of postmodernity. <laughs> like well we're right. asking that question and maybe we're moving beyond that maybe we're moving beyond that but there are there have been discussions in the last uh, you know there's there's been some amazing uh things of discoveries and scientific theories that have really that really impacted the general population's belief yeah and you know you talk about even even just kind of materialistic evolution like you know evolution without any kind of god or force behind it um you know and and the fact that that is considered you know that's dogma in school like when you go to school that's dogma like we don't they don't talk about other theories they talk about that one as truth and so that has kind of led people away from the idea that there might be a creator. Um, so even that, you know, I was talking about even that being able to have a discussion about, you know, evolution versus creation. And, right. and it, does that fit? Does science in, in the Bible fit? Um, because people want to know. And I, I feel like many people just assume and the things that I say are like, oh, there's first of all, there's no way you can know that the Bible's true. That's the one thing that you hear. Mm-hmm. And um, there's no way you can know. The second thing is like, oh, it's just like every other book. Or, oh, you know, the Bible and science don't line up. You know, I believe in science, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like Nacho Libre. Right. And so <laughs> I believe in science. You have not been baptized. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you believe in love? <laughs> you How long ago yeah. was that? Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Do you believe in love? I only speak the truth. <laughs> I only speak the truth. <laughs> That's John that Leguizamo, by the way. I, I know. John Leguizamo did a great job. Is he Nacho Libre, too? No, dude, that's friggin' that's Jack Black. Well, that's Jack Black, but he's not the one talking in the scene you're describing. Uh, no, I don't think so. That was Pedro. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, that was Pedro, yeah. Yeah, okay. Vote for Pedro. Vote for Pedro. Um, yeah. yeah, no, and I mean, I think, I don't disagree with you. I mean, I think 
but what I'm going to say might sound like I do, and I don't, I don't mean it that way. <laughs> so I'm going to preface it that way. Okay. But um, I think that there's a, there's, there's a captivity that the church has had to a certain narrative about what truth is that actually is not biblical, which mm. has to do with, you know, the difference between what it means to believe as a form of faith and what it means to believe as a form of certainty that's independent of actually the believing we do. Mm-hmm. Um, a kind of like a kind of knowledge that we would have without actually having to be agents. And I think that's actually deeply unbiblical. And I can't go we, okay. for, for reasons so that we can't. I want talk you to about. listen, I want you to break that down well, okay, in a so way like, that Yeah. So, so explain I mean, it to me like I'm a five year old. Yeah. So if now explain it to me like I'm a three year old. <laughs> I think that there's a way following out of what we call modernism and and philosophy that we come to think of the things that the church teaches as true in a way or as knowable in a way that we can know things like theorems, like two plus two equals four. Um, and I, sure. the model of knowledge in scripture is always relational and is always through commitment. It's always, I mean, I'm teaching Augustine this week's, his confessions. And in there he famously says, and this is not just him, it's also Anselm that says it, but he says, I believe in order that I would know. Right. And that knowledge is a product of a relationship that doesn't, I mean, and, and some of the most crazy things about Christianity, like the resurrection and the idea that God would both come into the world in an incarnate body, but also take his own life and alienate himself from himself in the crucifixion and then rise from the dead to overcome death in, again, a body that shows the marks of that. Like, that's not the same as two plus two equals four. Right. Like that kind no. of knowledge. So it's not to say that there's no historicity to the Gospels. I mean, it's not to say that there is an evidence that's like just as good, if not better than any other for things like the resurrection. Yeah. It's just to say that what it means to be a Christian. I mean, Kierkegaard puts it really well. The difference between like knowing the truth of the gospel and believing it are enormous. And scripture points out to that. Right. It's not yeah. like the demons know who Jesus is, but they don't believe in him. Well, it's because that's not what believing means in scripture. Believing no, no, means no. an orientation of your life. Right. towards the relationship with Christ, which is a kind of knowledge, but it's not the same as 2 plus 2 equals 4. Well, no, and, and I would say that I agree with you, and I also think that what we've done in some in some instances, not all instances, is we've re- it's, it's reductionism. It's, yeah, exactly. It's reducing... Right. We want, we want salvation to mean 2 plus 2 equals well, yeah, 4, we, we have not a, a complete reorientation of your life. Right. This is a theory that kind of, you know, we believe in... And I, I kind of think we reduce it down to this scientific, this kind of list of facts that you have to believe. Yeah. And you're right. There's there's not there's not that. I mean, the angels... Jesus doesn't go around asking his disciples, like, yeah. do you sign off on this doxology? Which doesn't mean that there isn't doxological truth in Scripture. No, there, there is, are. But, yeah. like, but the question he's asking people about whether they follow him is what they do, right? Like, right. how do you love me? You know, Peter, do you love me? The reinstatement of Peter. Yeah. Matthew 25. We're studying the book of James. Yeah, like, Matthew 25 being the sheep and the goats. The sheep okay, and the goats. Yeah, the so you're talking the, about, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, those like, are, you it's not to say there me, isn't doctrine. There is me. doctrine, but the right. doctrine is is represented in part or, or represented yeah. through the, the relationship we have it's the relationship. to one another and to Christ. So all this to say, when when talking about apologetics, recognize recognize that even if you educate yourself really well and i'm reading i'm reading some great books on it right now there's a book called god among sages by ken sample it's really good Mm -hmm. um really really good stuff kind of separating the sages out of all the different religions uh but if you're talking to a person it's always a heart issue yeah it's never it's never a head issue there are probably there's these roadblocks that people get into 
Yeah. But Jesus, whenever he's dealing with people, they try to make it about the head. Right. And Jesus well, and always exactly. turns it around and right. says, no, it's about you. But it's not just a heart issue either. It's also a grace issue. It's a grace to issue. To believe is an act of grace. It's mm-hmm. not an act of the will. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, that's like, that's the part that I had to learn as a young man. Like mm-hmm. knowledge is one thing. Belief is grace. Like to yeah. be, I mean, to, so when you sing a song like that Hillsong song about, I believe in God, the father, I believe in Christ, the son, the, be- like, the, the creed, the creed, which creed is the song, one you're right, talking exactly. about. Exactly. This is not like, not this, that creed though. It's called <laughs> this. I believe. Yeah, I believe. And, and you think about that song and it sounds like what you're iterating are a series of propositions that are true. Like, the same way you'd say two plus two equals four. Well, we do that though. We do do that in and, high ch- in high church. We yeah, do all it. the time. We but do the, the creed. But to to actually say it is not the same as to believe it, and to believe right. it is an act of grace. Like to to both say, "I believe in God the Father," "I believe in Christ the Son," "I believe in the Holy Spirit," three in one. Like to sing right. that is actually, and to mean it, to sincerely sing that is actually grace. Like it's grace. It's only grace that well, makes that possible. It's not knowledge. It's, it's not your head. It's a gift of God. Right. That's what I mean by To grace. have faith. Exactly. Right. Which exactly. is what you're meaning. So For, grace exactly. is God, it, God gives us a, a gift of faith. It's right. like, it's according to the measure of faith that yeah. you've been given. Exactly. And I agree with that. I think Jesus gives us a certain amount of faith, and I I think we can seek after more. I think right. that can increase if as, if we in, increase in our relationship with Him. And knowledge yeah. and grace work together. So I don't mean to like separate the two out. Right. But like you can know things. And again, and I I definitely encourage everyone to to have an answer for why they believe. Yeah. Which includes and knowledge like i mean i'm obviously i'm a professor here so it's not like i'm against knowledge no but on the other hand it's important to remember that like knowledge doesn't save ultimately what salvation is is when that knowledge becomes what you believe well and there's there's (laughs) never and you know what i love about this conversation is that it's getting into the idea that's presented in james which is where we're going next which i i just said Oh, you did. I said James was coming next. Oh, yeah. Cool. All right. He already said that. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. Jared's not listening to me. (laughs) (laughs) So it's getting into James. Basically, there's no there's no separation between faith and works. faith and works. There will always be a connection between the two. So those of you out there who think you believe the right things, this is including me, who think we believe the right things and then we don't live them or we don't. We don't serve people. We don't have hearts that are that are outward focused. We don't, yeah. you know, like we don't clothe people <laughs> that are naked. Whatever. I mean, yeah. like, there's not very many naked people around. But you know, we don't do those things. Um, you you got to question whether or not you actually believe what you say you believe. Yeah. And if that's the case, then get on your knees and start praying about it. Yeah. Um, I think that's really it's an important thing not to divorce your your faith from your works and, yeah. and your belief systems from your works. And we get very self-righteous uh, in our in our approach uh, to, to people sometimes. So well, I and think Paul the, says, yeah. not, to, not to jump from James to Paul, but I think we sometimes also get caught up on, you know, well, what about those people who just barely, like, affirm faith, but they don't have works? And Paul does talk about that, and he no. says explicitly, like, some will get, I mean, at least this is how I've always heard this passage interpreted, and I like it. You know, some will get in as though, like, the flames are licking at their yeah, feet. Yeah, right. And and the point is, like, that's not normative. Like, the goal is not to do the least to get the most, because, you yeah. know, we are, I mean, that, that's, like, totally misunderstanding the point right. of the story of the, of the vineyard the, workers. And the thief on the cross. Yeah, they are, yeah. like, the point is not to, like, I'm going to live as badly as I can, but in the end, I'm going to get the heaven right. ticket. Like, the, I mean, again, going back to yeah. Augustine, like, what it means to live 
in God is to live in more, not less being. Sin is just the absence of being. Evil mm-hmm. doesn't exist. It's just a diminution of the good. It means diminishment of the good. So right. if you're living your whole life like thinking, I'm going to sin as much as possible, and then I'm going to get in at the end, like which is to say not loving others, which is to say not trying to be somebody who brings glory to God. You're right. just missing out just on go a good life. To, like, go, you're not, you're right. Go you're back not like, to... You're not, you're not like, a, hey, I put... you know. It's like a kind of bad economics. I'll get the most for the least. You're actually getting the least for the least. Right. That, <laughs> you know? It's very true. And you kind of live this life of, you know, the same life that you would have lived otherwise. Right. You and know, you're kind like, of but I'm going to go to heaven in the end. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I'm going to live a selfish, self-centered life. Right. I'm not I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do anything for anyone else. Right. I'm, I'm going to achieve all my goals. You yeah. know, I'm right. going to get Paul's a, like laughing, a going, nicer like, house. Yeah, you might end up you know, an eternal life with, with Christ, but you've missed out on your life. Yeah. You know? there's, like, ba- there's people that are barely making it. Right. And you know, it's, it's interesting in first Corinthians six, we, we're not going to discuss like all the stuff that's implied there, but first Corinthians six suggests that there are certain people that will not inherit the kingdom on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, in first Corinthians six. So it goes off on this list of sinners and, and people that are Christians, but that are sinning. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, so the thieves, the liars, the yeah. sexually impure, like all these people that are going through all this stuff, and then he says, but you're going to do the, You're not going to inherit the kingdom. And the kingdom is a place here. It's a place on earth. And so it's almost like you're getting sidelined. You may make it to heaven, but you get sidelined in the game. You know, you don't get to play the game the way that God wants you to play the game. So anyway, I, I think that, you know, people that, that decide to kind of live their Christian lives and don't obey and don't walk with God, they, they yeah, it's, they can be sidelined. Mm-hmm. In the kingdom of God, they can be not necessarily used to their full potential. They don't experience the abundant life, but they're Christians. Yeah, and so and they and and so that's one of the reasons why. I mean, I heard this last week. I thought this was great. That um, that it's like you know Christianity is is interesting because I can expect my Muslim neighbors and my Hindu neighbors to actually be better people than me. Uh, because by nature, the Christian faith is when you enter into a relationship with God, you actually have to admit that you're a sinner, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get better immediately. You know, like, you just admit, here I am, I need help, and that's the entrance into the kingdom. And so I don't, you know, I love that. And that has to do with the relativity of where you start as well. Yeah, the relativity, right. I mean, and both as a both in terms of your formation, but also in your like basic nature. Yeah, your basic like some nature. Of us How will far? Struggle with things longer in our life, and yeah. While it's true that we are pure in Christ, I mean, since we're talking about Easter this week, we'll talk about that. But that that we have His righteousness, right. which is true of our nature, but not true of our daily kind of practices least, and right. actions all the time. Well, and we always talk about sanctification on the show, but yeah. that's that's yeah. kind of the process of sanctification where God transforms us from glory to glory it makes us more like jesus yeah. we inherit but and, the, and as we talked about before sanctification and worship are so tied i mean like, yeah. it's another way of talking about the idea that people want to get they want to like get into heaven without having to lead a good life and that just shows how fundamentally we misunderstand what the good life is like right. like the good life is the same right. <laughs> it's continuous with i mean it's not identical with heaven but it's it's continuous with that. It's well, not. and the question then becomes, I mean, I think there's, you're in dangerous waters, I think, at that point, too, if you're just trying to get away with whatever you can. Um, the question becomes, did you believe it in the first place? Well, um, yeah, or, and yeah, right. do you, yeah, have you been given, yeah, it's a good question. It's a good question. Nobody knows the answer to that yeah, question. I know, it's one of those things. That. The visible and invisible church we will not touch upon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so what we've been talking about is basically having an answer 
in season and out of season, like Paul talks about the, the limitations of apologetics, saying that we can, we need to, as Christians, I think, have a toolbox to be able to answer questions, to be able to have decent and intelligent conversations with people that don't believe, whether it be, you know, science, whether it be, you know, culture and art, being able to have conversations about all that stuff. Um, but there's a limitation there because it's always a relational question. It's always a personal and and it's always a personal um, and uh, and spiritual question and relational question. It's not always a scientific and intellectual question. I mean, we have we educate ourselves to help people remove roadblocks from having a relationship with God, because um, many people do have those roadblocks. And so, I think it is it's on us to do that. But um, but there are limitations because what we need to be doing is we need to engage in spiritual warfare's with spiritual weapons. And, uh, and we need to start praying for our neighbors and having a relationship with them, loving them. Those things are, you know, the word of your testimony can be far more impactful than, you know, your ability to talk intelligently about evolution. So, yeah. um, anyway, so yeah, so I think let's transition that. Well, and and actually an interesting way to transition though, is to think about how, since we are talking about Easter now, it seems like one way of thinking about that is that knowledge is not the same as faith and that what saves us is the work of Christ in Easter, not our knowledge of it. <laughs> you know, so apologetics yes. apologetics matters because it's about our knowledge of it, but it is not what saves us. Right. Our knowledge of it. Right. <laughs> right. Like Jesus' work is what saves us, not that we know it. Well, it's uh, Thomas Aquinas. What we were talking about a yeah. couple of weeks ago when Thomas Aquinas said, I would much rather... What is it? I'd, I'd much rather have... Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Remember the was, quote? Yeah. How does it go? I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> listen to episode five. I don't want to believe. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. Anyway, listen to the. Anyway. So, yeah, it's not the knowledge of it. It's the actual work itself. Yeah. Which is why it's cool. Christianity is cool because it lives in reality. And it doesn't mean that knowledge <laughs> isn't important. It no. just means that it isn't of ultimate importance. Right. So, it's I not mean, It's not conceptual. It's, yeah. It's not the most important thing. And I, right. I, I, I mentioned that only because I think in my youth as a Christian, I thought my salvation was just my knowledge where I would have called that knowledge beliefs, mm-hmm. right? Like, I And you grew up Reformed, w- right? No, I grew up semi-Baptist. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I thought that, no, I mean, the Reformed people would, I mean, they, they're they really into ideas too, but they don't think of them as as um, salvific. I mean, well, they, I think we often say the word, and you've probably heard this phrase, like we always say the word, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I and I and that is misleading in a Because it way. sounds like the knowledge is what saves. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's actually that the knowledge is a sign of the fact that you're saved. It's a sign of life. Yeah, it's a sign. It's not, I mean, it is not what saves you. Right. It's a sort of representation of the fact that you are saved. So it's not, I mean, I don't mean to suggest that people don't know they're saved or that they can't be confident in their salvation. It's just that their salvation is not the fact that they know. Right. That's very interesting. Yeah. Well, let's transition into Easter. So it's coming up this week. We've got... Easter at the Fairplex. If those of you, um, those of you listening, it's a really, really cool way to celebrate. It's outside. Um, it's big. It's loud. There's millions of people there. Um, there's lots of donuts and coffee. <laughs> That's just good coffee and good donuts. Uh, yeah. So, but but uh, we get to celebrate the resurrection. This is the biggest day for Christians um, because without the resurrection, we're lost. I mean, Jesus came at Christmas, which probably wasn't on December 25th. <laughs> I'd say probably absolutely not. Uh, but uh, we celebrate then and then we celebrate Easter 
um, this week to to uh, to represent what Jesus did on the cross and in resurrecting. Yeah, and I think that's. I mean, you're already bringing up an interesting point, just the way you phrase that, which is like. Easter is not one thing, right? Like mm-hmm. Easter, Holy Week is, and I like how in some churches they call it Holy Week or Passion Week. Right. Because, I mean, Easter Sunday we celebrate the resurrection, but the only reason we celebrate the resurrection is because we celebrate the crucifixion, mm-hmm. which is a kind of crazy part of the faith is that we celebrate the murder and suicide of God. Right. right. I mean, that's, you know, when you say it like that, you kind right. of realize how crazy it is. Normally we use these terms that sort of alienate us from what it is. You know, we That's talk about true. Good Friday, and you're like, well, what is Good Friday? Good, Good Friday is the day that God incarnate is murdered and slash kills himself because he had to subject himself to death. Not That's right. I mean, he, he could have just been like, nah, never mind. Well, because <laughs> he says, he even <laughs> says that. He yeah. says, nobody takes my life, yeah, I give, I it, give freely. it freely. No, and so, right. I mean, so we celebrate, Easter's not just Easter Sunday, it's also Good Friday. And it's also the silence of the tomb on Saturday. I mean, it's this whole weekend. And the fact that it's three days is not incidental. I mean, it's theologically significant that the church chooses to celebrate it over three days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a time of waiting and a period of waiting before the resurrection. Right. And today we are celebrating Monday, Thursday. Yeah. I mean, I think all this stuff is Easter week, I mean, and Monday, Thursday and resurrection. And these things have become so familiar to us that sometimes I think we need to pause and ask ourselves, like, wait, what does this actually mean? I mean, Monday, Thursday, for example, is the celebration in part of Jesus's community with his believers, you know, the disciples having the feast in the upper room, which is like the feast before his murder or his betrayal and murder, you know, and it's odd to think of having a kind of feast, a celebration of that. Yeah, and, it's, and he's saying to the disciples, take take and eat, uh, right. which, is, which is a reflection of Genesis, too. Yeah. Uh, in reverse. So it's yeah. like, you know, where the serpent says to Eve, take and eat. Yeah. Um, and sin enters the world. He's saying to his disciples, take and eat. And, and sin. sin leaves the world. So yeah. so that's it's Yeah, I mean, and and, uh, and it's interesting because it's, it's his body and his blood that makes sin exit the world in mm. that meal, <clears throat> in that reversal, but also in the coming crucifixion. I mean, the, I jokingly texted some friends this morning. I can't remember if you were on the list. I think you might have been on there, but maybe you weren't. About substitutionary atonement. And, yeah, I and wasn't. It, you weren't on that list. No, it was, it was I the must not be one of your friends. <laughs> it's a, I, there's so many of those like mixed groups of texts. I, I don't know which one it is, but I don't even follow them. And somebody said in response, like, "Is that really a word, <laughs> substitutionary <laughs> atonement?" Yeah. And so I sent like five links uh, for what substitutionary atonement was to the list, and uh, you know, from different different sources. But the idea that Christ is our propitiatory or the lamb upon the altar for our sin. Right. I mean, that, that, that it's not just that he says it. I mean, he could, right. He could say it and make it true, uh-huh. um, but he doesn't, right. He, he actually offers his body up. I mean, first in the emblems of that dinner, right. but then the next day in reality, right. He, he is the lamb on the throne, but he is also the lamb this is where you're supposed to say something about C.S. Lewis. He's also the lamb yeah. <laughs> on the block, right? He's the lamb who's who's on the sacrificial, you know, what yeah. do we call that? Like the altar, basically. The altar. Yeah, and so we continue to celebrate that, I mean, in Easter and in Good Friday. Tomorrow when we come to church, I mean, we'll, if we come, we'll be celebrating. On Good Friday. Yeah, that, that, that God 
put himself to death. I mean, that he and, right. we, and, and we say that like that makes sense and we understand it. But we don't. I mean, it's the great mystery of the church, or one of the great mysteries of the church is that right. that God incarnate comes in flesh to be our substitutionary lamb, and that we have peace with God because he, I mean, we use different metaphors. He bought it. He paid for it. Right. I mean, it's often economic metaphors, but it's not only that. There's also, it, throughout the church tradition. Yeah, and, he ransomed us. Yeah, yeah. ransomed mm-hmm. us. But there's also Im- images in 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 theology throughout time of, of a kind of overcoming also that I mean resurrection is partly about that but in some ways God dying kills death you know that there's a sense in which yeah. even the crucifixion not just the resurrection overcomes death so yeah. I mean I think that's like a I, I mean I think that's part of what we're celebrating in celebrating Good Friday is that death too thou shalt die as John Donne puts it at the end of one of his yeah. his famous sonnets you know that death is overcome Death By death. Uh, Major Ian Thomas is one of my favorite people. He started Cape and Ray, um, Cape and Ray College. I think it's a Bible school in in uh, England. And there's they're all over the world now. Mm. But he um, he always talks about how whose blood was required to satisfy God's wrath, and he just says God's blood. Mm-hmm. He's like so he's like it had to be God's blood. Um, and so yeah, you know, we talk about this sacrifice. I mean, he takes he takes um, sin very seriously, and I I love what John Stone Street wrote today. Um, about the comparisons between the first and second Adam. So this whole week is a celebration of the kind of systematic undoing of what Adam did in the garden. Yeah. Because of what Jesus, Jesus as the second Adam, it says in Romans 5, being the second Adam, the second beginning, um, the second firstborn, you know, of all creation. Um, and it says this. I, I'm just going to read what he said because it's it's pretty amazing how similar Jesus is to Adam and how... It's kind of Je- it's kind of Adam in reverse. So, the first Adam yielded to temptation in a garden. The last Adam beat temptation in a garden. The first man, Adam, sought to become like God. The last Adam was God who became a man. The first Adam was naked and received clothes. The last Adam was clothed uh, had clothes but was stripped. The first Adam tasted death from a tree. The last Adam tasted death on a tree. The first Adam hid from the face of God, while the last Adam begged God not to hide his face. The first Adam blamed his bride, while the last Adam took the blame for his bride. The first Adam earned thorns, the last Adam wore thorns. The first Adam gained a wife when God opened man's side, but the last Adam gained a wife when man opened God's side. I think that's very interesting. Hmm. Um, The first Adam brought a curse, the last Adam became a curse. While the first Adam fell by listening when the serpent said, take and eat, the last Adam told his followers, take and eat, this is my body. So we celebrate all the events of, of this weekend because of what God did um, to undo what was done at the beginning of creation. Um, and it was this process that Jesus had to go through and the sacrifice that he had to make because of sin and because of the sin in my heart and your heart, um, he had to go through this. But he was God doing it. It's like God fixing the problem. You know, this, the problem enters in to the world and then God fixes it. You know, one of the things that I like about one of the apologetic reasons, because people are always like, well, what about people that don't know? Or what about the people prior to Jesus? And did you know, this is a trip, 2% of the population lived before Christ. Hmm. Since since Christ, 98% of the population lived. So only 2% lived prior to that. 
Um, so people are always like, well, what about all those people? It's like, well, it's only 2%. And uh, they were in Sheol. <laughs> so we talk about that all day. Yeah, right. Uh, and so, yeah. so it's like God kind of made the atonement. I mean, he did. He made the atoning sacrifice of Christ available to everybody from the beginning of creation. Um, and so it's amazing. Jesus, I mean, it's, it's, it's comprehensive. And, uh, and it's the reason why we celebrate what we are. Without the resurrection, without this weekend, Christianity would be nothing. First Corinthians 15, Paul suggests that if, if the resurrection didn't happen, we're to be pitied above all men. There's nothing in the world. Um, there's no reason why we should be who we are. But because the resurrection did happen, um, because Jesus rose, died and rose from the dead, um, we have relationship with God and we, and the world is better. The world is redeemed. So amazing, dude. This is the best week of the year. This is, <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I was looking for a line in this poem I really love about, um, the innocence of Christ and the necessity of innocent blood and, and, um, and sometimes I think we in contemporary America or in the contemporary world, and maybe this isn't true for our audience, but we tend to think of violence as this um, kind of like a throwback to some more like primitive age. And like we mm. kind of like to move away from some of these metaphors because, uh, you know, like, ah, I don't like this violence. I don't like this way of talking. And and I don't think that we can do that without really doing a disservice. You know, it's not just like a kind of. Mm-hmm. disservice that we have done to God it's that you know we've been cut off and that there is a kind of bodily violence to it I mean that and what we do to one another is not just like unnice it's actually you know killing people and death and mm-hmm. and so I mean I think there's a a real kind of corporeal or body nature to Easter that's a good reminder when we want to make things too I don't want to say too spiritual because that sounds wrong because spiritual is not the opposite of body. Or but too, <laughs> in quotes, like um, forward thinking yeah, or too we, evolved. We want to kind of get away from um, the fact that that, right. that there is Christmas and that there is an actual physical death of God on the cross and that that actually corresponds with an actual waiting in the tomb, which corresponds with an actual resurrection and that that resurrection yeah. is... Not just our hope because we want to live forever, but it's our hope because it's a form of total restoration. It's yeah. not just like a, I mean, what whatever else eternal life means, uh-huh. it's a fullness of life. It's well, not, it is. And I like to your point about um, the fact that people are offended by the violence of Easter. Yeah. Um, you know, this it reminds me of Andrew Bird. You know Andrew Bird? Yeah. I love Andrew Bird. Anyway, yeah. He has a, he has a, in the mysterious He's production. He's a Chicago boy. Of, yeah. In the mysterious production of Eggs. Yeah. He, uh, he wrote. Uh, the lyric, um, you talk about the hand of glory, a tale that's rather grim and gory. Is it just another children's story? And so, and he talks about, he's just basically saying, you know, you guys are Jesus. Like, it's grim, it's gory. Yeah. That's what he's referring to. Yeah. You know, Jesus, don't you know that you should have done? done. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. Monsters will walk the earth. Sufjan Stevens' new album has a song on it called Drawn to the Blood. Um, no, wait, is it on the new album? It might be on a previous album, but it, I mean, it's, it's partly like a retuning of, Mm -hmm. of a a spiritual, but it's also about how, um, well, like the quote I was trying to find in the W.H. Auden poems I have here, he says in there, and I, I think this is a direct quote, but I was trying to find it. He says that 
talking about the death of it's a series of poems called the Ori Canonicae that you can get online. It just means the canonical hours, and it's Auden as A U D E E N A U D E N, and he talks there about how um, he says there must be blood, it must be innocent, mm-hmm. um, and and he's talking about like the human need for violence, and he's he's actually writing in the early part of 1950s, the decade of the 50s, when mm-hmm. he writes his poems, right after World War II, where he was involved, and he he was very aware of like the human propensity towards violence and basically kind of calling us out from like overly, overly utopian, you know, sense that we could just get past violence. Yeah. Um, and, and, and recognizing that the center of human history, uh, he's a Christian as, as a Christian, the center of human history is this act of violence, which mm-hmm. paradoxically overthrows violence, but not yet, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, that death ends death and ends violence but not yet, not, well, not, it's a it's bit, not fully realized yet. And it's a bit like Narnia in that, yeah. you know, it is a Aslan, bit like, there's a reason well, for there's that. A reason. <laughs> well, Aslan hands himself over to the white witch yeah. and the white witch and all of her people do whatever they want to him, thinking that they're getting away with something, but yeah. not knowing the whole story. And that's, that's what happens to Jesus too. It's like yeah. he gets handed over to the devil for our sakes. And so the devil does the violence that he wants to do. Yeah. And then Jesus um, overcomes death. Um, so it's an amazing story. Yeah. And I was like, it's interesting. I was talking to my small group about how, you know, because there's other, there's, there's an apologetic conversation to have here too, just briefly, about how there's other religions and other kind of mythologies, especially the North Norse mythology that include the resurrecting God and, um, and how Balder you know, resurrects, he's the good God, he dies and he resurrects. And then there's other, there's other instances in mythology and stuff. And Lewis wrote an article about this and he said, I think he's like, what happened? I wouldn't have believed in Jesus had I not seen Balder first. Mm, Like a preparation. It's a preparation. And it's almost like the pagan religions, they kind of knew that this mythology was necessary. Yeah. We kind of knew it in our hearts that God had to die. And then when he does, it is mythology, but it's real mythology. And that's what he discussed with with Tolkien that eventually led him to become a Christian was this idea that mythology in reality, it's something that actually right. happened that was mythological. And the reason why it happened, well, the reason why we knew it was supposed, we knew it was supposed to happen. Well, and that's two ways of looking at the same argument. One way yeah. of looking at it is like, oh, mm. look, there are these other things in the history of culture that look like Christianity. Christianity, therefore, Must is derived false. from them and is yeah. thereby false. Right. The other way of looking at it is that actually, I mean, this is kind of a Romans 1 version of it, mm-hmm. that within nature we see, which I don't just mean like looking at the mountains, but I mean within our right. nature and, and nature, we see things that lead us without the direct revelation of Scripture to some of the truths of Scripture that are not fully fleshed out but are partially fleshed out so, right. such that it shouldn't surprise us now, of course, this has consequences in our present world as well. Like, it means that we should also be looking for the signs of grace in the common culture that we're in and not just simply yeah. looking to Ooh. kick it out. I Boy, mean, that's a good point. It means yeah. that, like, when mm-hmm. people are longing, I mean, there's a reason why you can sing certain non Christian songs in church because they actually are getting it right, even though they don't know they are, right? They, right, exactly. The hunger for fulfillment that only can be found in Christ is what they're singing about, even if they don't know they are. Because well, yeah. that longing is in all of our hearts. And maybe know? we can talk about this at another time, but there's 
you know, there's about eight storylines and they all kind of lead yeah. back to Christ. You and know? one way of thinking about that is Christianity is yeah. derived from that. Another right. way of thinking about that is that Christianity is the fulfillment it's of that. It's the fulfillment of all of it because right. we all kind of knew and we knew instinctively yeah. as human beings who have this common heritage, we right. knew this was supposed right. to happen. And so when it happened, it was a fulfillment of something that was echoing in our hearts and yeah. minds right. long before it's it happened. It's odd that that's become an argument against the faith. I mean, it would yeah, seem exactly. like it would seem like that would be an indication that this this continuity. I mean, there are clearly discontinuities in the faith as well, so it's worth mentioning that. But the the fact that there are so many continuities at at various points yeah. with this story and the narrative of Jesus and with other parts of our culture, and and of course, like biblical texts mention that, right? Like Paul mentions that in his yeah. his speech to the uh, Arab. The Arapag- Mars, the, Hill. Uh, Mars Hill. We've said that. Arapag- it's Mars Hill, Caleb. <laughs> Mars Hill. But I mean, the point being, like, Scripture is aware of this overlap too. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, that's a good point too. I mean, there's moments. Yeah. You know, he he quotes from Virgil in. Yeah, we quote we we procure um, culture all the time because there are elements of truth and elements of culture yeah. in everything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Lewis. We talk about Lewis a lot, but but Lewis always said that too. He said there's. You don't have to be threatened by other religions because there's bits of truth in them. Yeah, exactly. You know, we don't have to right. say that these. But people But you do are have to be wrong. if the claim of Christianity is its total originality. So I mean, when you when you step into a college campus and you're a freshman <clears throat> and you take your first whatever class and yeah. the faculty member, you know, tells you that oh, actually Christianity is very similar to Mesopotamian religions and there's a kind of continuity between the two such that the one can be re- seen as derived from the other. Right. Like oh. That looks like a problem. You know, you think to yourself, you know, just in the same way that you can kind of do a historical lineage of, you know, Mumford and Sons Mm. from contemporary, I mean, from bluegrass. Right. Does that make Mumford and Sons, you know, purely derivative? Well, in one version of our culture, yeah, because the goal is a kind of originality. But if instead you think of something as being developmental and in some ways reflecting some deeper truth truth. then you know there's no reason to think i mean it partly has to do with the whole cultural logic that we have about originality Mm -hmm. and that we think that like unless something is like just kind of as as fitzgerald describes gatsby and the great gatsby born from the platonic conception of himself which means like from no antecedents it just kind of is like born from From no no previous nothing before it there's like no cause that you can sort of say like and and that's what we sort of idealize in our culture like when we think about genius we think of it as like having no prior you know we don't think about how einstein's connected to the mathematical and physics theorems that come before him the leg bone is connected to the hip yeah we just think of it as like this like he kind of sprung from nothing is connected and so christianity likewise just has to like spring from nothing which of course is like Part of the reason why we don't get the Jewish part of Christianity, yeah, the either. Jewishness of <laughs> Clearly it. Clearly, it's not born yeah, from Jewishness, nothing. Yeah, it's talking. It's talking about world. Okay, we Easter is a Jewish holiday. Yeah, people. it's a Jewish. It's holiday a Jewish holiday <laughs> that celebrates a, a Jew that died. Right, and, and it's, rose but from it's the actually the, the the meal yeah. in the upper room right. is the celebration also of that the a bunch Passover. of that a bunch of Jews <laughs> yeah. did. And so you know, it's it funny is derived. Is it's right. It's but it's, it's not all, less true by being derived. No, it's not at all. It's not at all. The one of the things that you brought up, like a college professor, you know, bringing up like how christianity is not true i just really quick one of the my biggest my, i'm so irritated by this that most of these people are like you know english professors seriously and and so they're doing <laughs> they like they're nothing. doing amateur theology <laughs> right in some someplace where they're supposed to be doing professional literature no and that's right that is and i, I mean you're right it's though that's really frustrating because i think i think that's that people use that platform as a professor constantly to do their amateur theological work right. to try to destroy people's faith and they really are not experts in that so they shouldn't be speaking into it 
That's or, what I think. Or we should be better about recognizing what authority is, uh, which is to say, it's well, they rhetorical. need to be better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we I mean, do I, too. I think uh, that, but know. I think there's a sense in which part of it has to do with a false understanding of what authority is. So mm-hmm. we have this idea that there's like experts in things and they know everything, and then there's non-experts in things and they don't know anything. And the reality is, is that as a person who is an expert, right? I am an expert. Yes, I'm an are. expert in 20th century American literature uh-huh. and late 20th and early 20th century American film. And as such, I know that I don't know very much. And like the idea right. that experts know everything is part of the problem. So when you like cede your authority as a thinker to whoever says whatever because they seem to be an authority, whether that's in the church and you just take <clears throat> everything for granted because somebody says it, like you and I, like the people listening to us should be critically engaging with whether or not what we're saying is true. Because yeah, we true. are subject mm-hmm. to the same fallen. I could be making all this crap up. <laughs> but we all are subject to error and, and subject to saying things that – you know, we get wrong. And well, I, mean, I think about is, what our conversation and think, are well, we getting this wrong? Well, we might be. But I was saying the the students that go in and pay for a class on on physics or whatever. Yeah. And then what they actually get is an amateur theologian getting up there. <laughs> that, that's my problem is, you know, these people need to if they're not if they're going to talk about theology, if they're going to talk about God. Yeah. That, then they need to be educated in that. And yeah. I and instead of doing what they do, which is basically trying to dismantle the Christian faith. And I think that happens a lot. I feel like you're talking about God is not dead. <laughs> no, well, I never even the saw film, it. The film, I mean. You know, I didn't see it. I never saw it. Because it it's a philosophy professor. Not an, oh, English profo- not an English professor. It's a philosophy professor. Well, either way, I <laughs> what I'm saying is like people engage in amateur, whatever it is. That's my recollection anyway. As yeah. I say that, I'm like, is it an English You know, I didn't see Maybe it. Maybe he was an English professor. I, can't, I yeah. think he was a philosophy professor. Okay. Yeah. Well, either way, man, I, um, I so think... So let's wrap up, though, because we are yeah. out of time. So we, we definitely talked about apologetics and like the importance of knowing the importance what you of believe, it, but the limitations not of thinking it. that that is the only thing that matters and use I, your head and your heart. Yeah, exactly. And then we talked a little about the resurrection and, and, you know, we did talk about Monday Thursday, which was a surprise to me, but we talked about Jesus's community with his, yep. his Passover meal, mm-hmm. you know, and again, we should, if this back to the Jewish thing, but how, you know, that, that story in the exile is about God, not taking the life of the firstborn son. And this is another one of those reversals. This Passover celebrates the taking of the firstborn son, right? Like the Passover of Jesus is precisely that he was not passed over, right? That he is the Paschal lamb. He is the one who's the sacrificed one. And, you know, that's awesome. I mean, it's... He's the blood on the door. Right, exactly. He's the door. He's the lentils. Yeah. And then they've talked a little about the atonement and like how, I mean, what follows from that is that he is that lamb. He atones for our sins. And and I just mention again that everybody should go watch Tree of Life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and one last thing. So, and Case for Christ. And Case for you can read Case for Christ. You can go see the movie. Read. This is one book that we need to talk about too. Eventually, we need to discuss this topic. But go uh, read uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an amazing yeah, book about. I really love that book. Yeah. And it's very easy to read. It's a bit like, um, what is his name? Khaled Khaled uh, Husini, the author. And uh, so anyway, yeah. so check it out. It's very good um, just as far as apologetics goes, and especially if you have Islamic or Muslim friends and neighbors and loved ones that, um, that you want to discuss and engage with. Um, anyway, so there's a, lot, there's a lot of resources. Another uh, resource on the, on the resurrection is Gary Habermas. If you go to Gary Habermas online, check him out. Um, he has a, the minimal facts method of proving the resurrection. It's extremely... Um, convincing, especially even for people that are biblical scholars that don't, you know, some people that are, that don't believe in Scripture, um, or at least agree on certain parts of Scripture but not others. So he's able to um, discuss and engage with those scholars. He's a really cool guy. Um, obviously, there's a lot of other apologetics um, resources that you should get into. 
Reasons to Believe is awesome. Hugh Ross is awesome. Um, we're big fans. Uh, so anyway, um, all right, guys. I think that wraps up our show, Caleb. Woo. So um, anyway, if you guys want to check with us, if you want to hang out with us, or if you want to discuss these things or write questions in, please go to the Facebook page. It's uh, Young Adults Purpose Church Facebook page. So go there, check it out. Uh, if you guys want to send us an email, send it to a podcast at purposechurch.com. Um, yeah, and also share with your friends. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. That'll be helpful. That's awesome. Um, the Purpose Podcast is part of the um, Purpose family, the podcast family. And if you want to go check those out, you can do that as well on our website. Um, okay, so for my co-host, Caleb Spencer, um, I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening. And we will see you next time on the Purpose Podcast. Thank you.